Uh, my name is Chris. It's, it's my delight, actually, to lead the worship team across all our venues. So I don't have a venue, which I know is a little bit kind of sad. I don't have a particular venue that I come to, like Six Scott Church, every week. Got my last my voice already. Uh, I kind of jump around from venue to venue, seeing as much of New Community Church as I love. But don't feel sorry for me, because it actually is an awesome privilege to be able to see just a, a snapshot of New Community right across all our venues. And I can tell you that right now is a really exciting time to be part of New Community. It really is. God is doing some wonderful things. Jesus is breaking into people's lives. We baptized a whole lot of people just fairly recently. We're growing, and it's exciting, but we're not just growing in depth, we're growing, uh, not just growing in number, but we're growing in depth, we're growing in real maturity, particularly I think here in Sitzcott Church, it's just been great just to see you guys worship, it's just been great today just to see loads of spiritual gifts being used, I don't know how you feel, I'm feeling encouraged, feeling built up by what guys have brought today, I'm going to touch on some of that stuff in that moment, but one of my favourite things about New Community Church is that we're a church that loves to worship. Boys have done since the launch of this many, many years ago. Worship has just been such a the heart of our church. It's just been in the DNA. We love to sing, love to gather, we love to use spiritual gifts, we love to enjoy the presence of God. And this talk today, this story that we're going to look at, we're going to carry on in uh, the book of Mark, is ultimately a story about worship. There's no band though, there's no singing, there's no words on the screen, but ultimately it's a story about the heart of a worshipper. And it's a hugely important story in the Bible. Why do we know that? Well, Jesus said this, said about this story, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, I want you to tell of this story also. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, even in little old Sikup in southeast London, I want you to tell of this story. This story brought such delight to the heart of Jesus that he wanted everyone to hear about it. He wants me to hear it tonight. He wants you to hear it tonight. So we're on safe ground tonight. We know that Jesus is going to want to speak to us and challenge us from this story today. I've got a few hard questions. I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. As I was preparing this, just felt the Holy Spirit lead me to a few tough questions to ask us tonight. Perhaps questions that from a kind of worldly perspective could be, felt like they were a bit intrusive or a bit uncomfortable. Questions about our hearts. Questions about how we spend our time. Questions about how we spend our money. But praise God, we're not here to look at things from a worldly perspective, are we? We're, we're family, and we're for each other. And we want to see each other grow in the things of God, don't we? Don't come to be entertained by a band, as good as they are. See Ruben's moves in that first song? Man, that guy can move. I, well, we don't come to be entertained, although sometimes it is entertaining. Man, he helped my worship today. He really did. But we come to grow, don't we? And sometimes we've got to have received some kind of tough questions in order for us to be shaped by the Holy Spirit. I've made this uh, kind of pact with God this year particularly that I really want to grow in the things of God. I want to be challenged by him. I don't want to stay the same. I want to look back at my year and, say, and see what Jesus had done in my life. And we can read passages like this today, which are probably going to sound fairly familiar. Many of you will have heard this probably many times before. We can move on quickly as them being familiar, or we can pause for a moment. We can take a deep breath, and then we can invite the Holy Spirit to come and shape us through these words. Are you up for growing today? That's my first question. Are you up for being shaped by God today? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to crack on. If you're new to church, you don't have to pray. You don't have to bow your head or anything like that, but you're very welcome to join us. 
Holy Spirit, we want to just invite you today. We give you permission to come and shape our hearts today, shape our minds. We want to grow in the things of God. We want to mature into the men and women that you have for us, or that you've planned for us. Will you reveal more of Jesus in this place to us? Will we love him more dearly? Love him more clearly in our hearts today? We just give you permission to come and have your way this evening. Amen. All right, let's crack on. Let's get in this passage. We're in Mark 14. Should come. I've got actually a really nice load of slides that I spent hours putting together for you. Thanks to the guys at the back who will put them out. We're going to be in Mark 14. We're going to start in verse 3. It says this. It's talking about Jesus. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of, of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some of that said indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than a year's wages and given to the poor. And they scolded her. We're going to come back to it in a minute. We just want to explain what's going on a little bit. And this story you can actually read in, in three of the Gospels. And why is that? Why waste time in the Bible telling a story? But the whole point of it was from a different angle, from a different perspective. We see different parts of the story. You can imagine that a doctor would tell a story from a slightly different angle, maybe using slightly different language to that maybe of a fisherman. So Mark's account is the same story, but from a slightly different perspective to say that of John's, which I'm going to touch on John's a little bit today as well. And the story starts with um, Jesus at Simon the leper's house, which I appreciate is a pretty... Like weird way to communicate whose house you've been at, right? If I said to you last night, I had a great meal. We had curry. Oh, whose house? Oh, I was at Brian the Asthmatic's house. And you're like, oh Brian. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's struggling, man. But actually, why Mark is telling us that is actually pretty. It's quite a big deal, and we miss that unless we understand what this whole leprosy thing was all about. And I had a great time this week um, studying some of this stuff, and I appreciate some of you not going to enjoy this. But Leviticus 13, if you want to get into leprosy, you get into Leviticus 13. It's amazing stuff. Got carried away with it this week. But I'll sum it up for you so you don't have to read there. Leprosy was a life-threatening uh, skin disease. It's like a white patchy thing that would start on your body and then sort of take over your body. And it would have been not just a kind of physical thing for your body, but there would be something to do with your spiritual identity as well. If someone suspected that you had leprosy, you wouldn't be told to go see a doctor. You would be told to go to see the priest, which gives you an idea of how they kind of, how they thought about it. And then the priest would either declare you clean or unclean. So you're hoping you're going to be clean. I'm unclean. What that would mean, you then you get banished to the outer parts of the city, um, and then you get to come back in seven weeks for another assessment, not with a doctor, but the priest. So you basically would be banished out of the city. You would have been one of a complete outcast. Simon would have been considered a complete outcast, a write-off. He would have been avoided. He would have been told to rip his clothes so people could see him from afar and make a choice to avoid him. And yet, who do we find sitting in his house? having a meal with him, we find Jesus. It's also not just like a random meal. And we get this from looking at John's account. They're celebrating something. And the weeks before, there's a guy called Lazarus. You've probably heard his, heard his name before. Famous story in the Bible. He had become sick. And then Mary, who in John's account, we're told is the woman in this story that we're looking at tonight. That's her name. Mary had sent word to Jesus that her brother Lazarus had become sick. 
Mary had seen uh, Jesus do some amazing things, seen um, him heal people before. So he'd sent word, she'd sent word, and Jesus was going to come. She was in full faith that Jesus was going to arrive. But he never did. Lazarus gets worse and worse, and he dies. And then for three days, Mary is grieving the loss of her brother. You can just imagine for a second that, that what that would have done for her heart. She'd have been absolutely devastated, frustrated at Jesus, her friend who she'd seen move in people's lives in amazing ways. And then Jesus turns up. You can imagine that moment for a second. I'm glad you're here. But only a few or three days earlier, you could have stopped this. And we know the story, probably uh, he raises Lazarus from the grave, walks out the tomb, which is probably a few sermons in itself. Amazing thing that she gets to see. And then we find Mary doing this thing, which is pretty strange. She finds herself pouring this incredibly expensive ointment over Jesus, which then people in the room don't understand. And let's say there's mixed reactions, to say the least. So back in the story... From verse 6, I just love Jesus' response. I'm going to look at this a little bit later. It says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. For you will always have the poor. I love how controversial this is. You will always have the poor. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world... What she has done will be told in memory of her. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world, don't, don't tell of my many miracles. Don't tell of the time that I'd um, raised Lazarus from the dead. Don't want you to tell that one. How about when I fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men in one go and a whole lot of other people in the crowd? How about the time I walked on water or I'd, I turned loads of gallons of water into wine? We had a great party. Don't tell her that story. I want you to tell her this story. There was something so special about this woman's personal devotion to Jesus that just caught him in a moment. I want you to tell this story around the whole world, wherever the gospel goes. So this passage is a pretty big deal. I'm excited about it. I feel like God's going to really speak to us. I feel like uh, if we delve into it today, he's going to really challenge us. It's going to stir our hearts to worship him more and to, to live for him. So I've got seven things uh, for us that, are, that I love I think Jesus loved Mary's worship because, right? So number one, Mary's worship was costly. I don't know if you're a uh, perfume wearer. Probably won't surprise you to know that I tend not to be, or aftershave for that matter. But uh, one of my favorite things to do, wait, that you're coming to that, Gene. It's pretty, isn't it? Uh, I love at the airport, and I'm sure you, you can relate to me, when you're walking through and you've got a few hours to kill, the best thing to do is walk up to the super expensive perfume section. Or I have to set aftershave. I have made the mistake before of putting perfume. Anyway, that's a different story. But you find yourself in the section and you see those little, little cards that you're meant to... I don't know what you're meant to do with that. Just spray a little bit on. And, well, I, don't, I don't know what it is. But everyone just sprays themselves. Like, yeah, this is cool. This is free. And then you grab another one from the shelf. Oh, this actually smells pretty, pretty, pretty better. So you put a little bit more on and got it over your bag. You want it to last ages. And until so you've probably got like 10 quid's worth of free tester pot aftershave all over your body. And you're walking around the airport, but no one, like, no one judges you because they've done it all exactly the same thing themselves. And I managed, June pointed out, but I managed to steal my wife's perfume today. It's very pretty, isn't it? It's got this little... Little flowers on the top here. You know, 
spray some. Have a bit for this front row. I don't know if you guys can smell a bit like that. Oh. That is actually really strong. Don't, don't breathe that in. That's how friendly. That's what, how much do you reckon that's worth? I think that's worth like, I don't know, 60 quid or, or something like that. I actually got a bit in my mouth. Not think that through. It's probably worth about 60 quid, and actually, probably I got it for, for Christmas, so it's probably only worth probably 30 quid. But, but Mary's ointment would have cost way more than 60 quid. I'm told in this passage that it would cost 300 denarii, which, just in case you're not up to speed with ancient Roman economy, that would have been about a year's salary. Anyone want to take a guess of what a London average salary is at the moment? Anyone want to take a stab? 30 grand. Googled it this week because Google's the answer to everything. £34,453. I thought that was fairly high, but hey, I won't tell you how much I earned. Keep that figure, £34,453 in the back of your mind as you consider what Mary does in a moment, an entire vase, an entire pint upon Jesus. Her worship cost her an entire year's salary would have undoubtedly been the most expensive thing that she owned. Maybe when something that would have been passed down from generation to generation. Mary was so overwhelmed, so overjoyed with what Jesus had done for Lazarus that she poured her heart out as well as 34,453 pounds all put into one moment. It's an amazing cost. And I think our default, if we're honest, is is much more about what I can get out of worship than what I can put into it, if we're really honest. And one of the joys of, of working for the church and doing my role is I get to be in all our venues and all our meetings, and I get to speak to people after our worship times. And people say some really interesting stuff, sometimes some encouraging stuff, but some really interesting stuff. And someone said, to this recently, said this to me recently, I didn't really get anything out of worship today. What do you do with that as a worship leader? Oh, I didn't really enjoy worship today as if the enjoyment factor for ourselves was actually an important part of worship or you have people say and insert big famous church here isn't the church here isn't the worship in this church amazing if only our worship could be more like insert big church here or I love it when Melinda leads. When Melinda leads worship, man, I just feel like the presence of God is just so here. She's awesome. And it's subtle, but it does expose something. It exposes that just deep down, our worship is actually kind of focused on us. It's subtle sometimes. I, I just want to encounter Jesus. If only I could get a touch from Jesus today, everything would be okay. As if worship's kind of primarily about us not about what it costs us, but what I can gain from it. And we can do this with certain worship leaders, can't we? I think that certain worship leaders could just seem to usher us into the presence of God like others. When Adrian leads, man, the presence of God just brings something. Guys, our worship leaders are nothing special. They don't bring the presence of God. The Holy Spirit isn't waiting for them to strum a magical pattern of chords and suddenly be in the room he meets with us because he's promised to meet with us. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. It's a promise. He's certainly not waiting on us to pick the right songs or to get it right in a particular moment. We're not creating the right mood for him to come. Let's not also make the mistake that 
the quality of our band makes any difference to the presence of God. They were great today. They might be terrible next week. They might create a helpful environment for us. They might create an unhelpful environment for us. But let's not confuse good or bad musicianship with what we consider to be a good worship time. How do we measure our worship times? I hear you ask. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Was Jesus glorified? Did I exalt his name? And better still, was I obedient with what the Holy Spirit put on my heart? To each of us have a part to play. We're not just watching a band. We're not just spectators. Not just listening to a guy with a microphone. We each have something to bring. We each have our own flask to bring to the table. Jesus loves it when we care about that about what we can bring in worship rather than what we can get out of it. Mary wasn't afraid what it cost her. All she cared about what she was bringing to the table. Number two, Mary's worship was sacrificial. I think what Jesus loved most about what she did was that it reflected what he was about to do for her, right? She didn't even know it yet. He'd not spoken about it. And yet it reflected the greatest sacrifice that he was about to do for her. I think as, as new community grows, it's easy for us to kind of miss Sundays, isn't it? It's really easy. We used to be all in one room at the same time, one service, one, one meeting. If you weren't here, then someone probably would give you a call or a text. Where are you? You doing okay? Nowadays, it's easy to feel like no one actually notices where I'm here or not. We have, what, 600 people come to new community churches across all our venues. It's easy to think, whoa. What can I bring? I won't be missed. We've got busy lives, right? We love city breaks. I love going away for a city break. If I miss church, I could, I could go. Oh, I don't really fancy church this week. You know, I've had a hard week. Saturday was not a restful day. I need to chill out. We can so quickly replace our regular times meeting together just because it's more convenient for our busy life schedules. Church can all too often be the first thing to go. I don't want to get like legalistic about it or heavy about it, but like Mary's sacrifice, guys, was her life savings. Gone in a moment, and Jesus loved it. Her love for Jesus caused her to do a pretty crazy thing. When was the last time you sacrificed something for him? Or is he the actual thing that you sacrifice out of your life and to make some room for other stuff? I did warn you it's going to be some hard-hitting <laughs> questions. I'm only just getting started, guys. <laughs> No one's expecting you to be here every Sunday for the next 30 years. But Jesus' delight to Mary's action in this passage does ask some pretty intrusive questions about how we choose to spend our time. He wants all of us, guys. He wants all of our hearts. Here's another question. Is our relationship with Jesus a one-way sacrifice? Or do we let his sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, propel us to sacrifice ourselves in small ways right across our lives? Number three, Mary's worship went beyond words. Comes a point in any relationship when words alone don't cut it, do they? We demonstrate our love. We just find ourselves naturally doing it. And with my wife, Sophie, I'll give you a little lesson in love languages. 
Uh, you naturally tend to show your love for someone how you would like to be loved yourself, right? You just naturally find yourself doing it. I know we're learning. That's not the point of love languages. But for me, I'm a gift man. I love receiving gifts. I feel so loved. Any other gift receivers? Who feels loved when you, yeah, you get gifts? Man, it just makes sense, right? It's amazing to get free stuff. So her birthday came out recently. And I spent months, literally months, like researching the most amazing array of gifts. And they were great this year. Absolutely great. I would have wanted every single one. And I, I wrapped them up. I numbered them. I planned this day out, basically, about when are you going to get what gift? I've got five gifts. that spread it out. Let's have the most amazing day. Expecting that she would feel like I do when I receive well-thought-out gifts. I will receive gifts afterwards if you want to. <laughs> What does she do when it's my birthday? Well, she actually does for her, for me, what she actually wants for her, which, like I said, we're still learning, doesn't actually involve any gifts at all. What she does, she organizes a massive surprise party with everyone that I've ever met in my life to turn up around my house. Well, as we're getting there, like five years of marriage, but we're going to nail this one day. But my point is, when you love someone, you naturally try and find ways to demonstrate your love. It's not just words. You find ways to demonstrate it says this in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved Mary's worship because her response demonstrated something. It wasn't empty words. It wasn't passive. It wasn't a sort of quiet, polite thank you at the back of the room. It echoed the same language as his. It echoed a language of action, a language of demonstration. When was the last time you demonstrated your love for him? Have you ever demonstrated your love for him? Have you ever found yourself doing something just for him? Something that no one will ever know, but he will. Number four, Mary's worship wasn't shaped by others around her. She didn't care about looking strange. She didn't care about making a mess. She didn't care about letting her emotions out. She didn't care what the person on her left or what her right thought. She didn't dial it down because she didn't see people in the room responding the same way. Her eyes were on Jesus and what he thought. Now, I still find it pretty hard not to care about what the person on my left and my right are thinking when I worship. And I sing into mics every single week. I still find it hard. Quite frankly, I get embarrassed get embarrassed when I sing out of tune, and I sing out of tune on a regular basis. I get all nervous about it for some reason. It's hard for us. It honestly, it's hard, straight up. But what we're actually doing in that moment is we're ultimately saying that Tony on my left, I care more about his opinion of whether my voice is any good or not rather than the opinion of the living God, <laughs> the one who I already have the approval of. It's nuts. I think one of the, um, my favorite things about this church is our desire to take the Bible seriously when it talks about spiritual gifts in worship. And it would be easy for us to let this stuff go, but we want to take it seriously. Right at the core of our worship times is this utter dependency to rely on the Holy Spirit. It's his agenda. When we gather, it's all about him. The Bible says when we come together, everyone, it does it does really mean everyone. It's not just for a few people. We all have a part to play. We all have the potential of bringing something. We probably wouldn't all in the same time because there would be a massive queue for the microphone. It would take days. But we all have the potential to participate, to contribute in the meeting. Maybe a tongue or interpretation, a revelation, a prophetic word, a word of knowledge. 
So I desire in this church that we would all begin to move in those gifts. Why not just for the sake of it, not to rub our egos, not out of pride, but because Jesus gives us these gifts for our good, to build us up as the church. Do you feel built up after those words today? Some wonderful truth being brought about the victory of Christ. And how that helps us, that we focus our eyes on that. I need to hear that stuff. Guys, we need to hear it on a weekly basis. There's some amazing words today. Well done, guys. We're going for it. I don't want to stop seeing that in our meetings. I love it. But I think the number one thing that stops us is this fear. Fear of getting it wrong. Fear of getting our words muddled. Fear of looking a little bit stupid. Guys, this is massive really is massive because it it will stop us experiencing the things of God. Mary bravely and courageously didn't let what others others in the room thought dictate her actions. She went for it. Number five, Mary's worship was spontaneous. I might be reading into this passage a little bit, so forgive me. Forgive me, Nick. For me, this doesn't feel like a planned out moment. Right? If it, it felt like a well-planned out, a well-considered moment, then she probably would have got the ointment ready so she wouldn't have to have broken the expensive jar. She could have done it by the door or put a mat out so she wasn't going to make a mess on the table. She could have got a towel out so she could have cleared it up. Like just to, for me, it doesn't feel like it, it's a planned out thing. It's a spontaneous thing in a moment she decides what to do. And I wonder if that is one of the reasons why Jesus loves it. So the reason why we don't plan our worship times. Well, we, we, we do actually. We plan the start. We plan how we're going to kick off the meeting. We encourage the worship leaders, just as like I did today, pick songs that uh, propel us with gospel truth, that lift our eyes off our own situations and onto the glory of Jesus and all that he's won, his victory. And then at that point, we kind of just hand over to the rest of us. And you can kind of see him do it tonight. They just played some songs and they step back and they like, physically step back and gave us space. It was over to the rest of us. At that point, it's over to the Holy Spirit. You want to hear from him. I'll tell you a little secret. I'll let you in on this one. It's not our worship leaders or our meeting hosts that actually are in charge of this meeting. Most of the time, they don't know what's going on either. It's the Holy Spirit who's in charge. It's his agenda. The role of our worship leaders is not to come up with a beautifully well-crafted set of songs to take us from here to here. Their job is just to kick us off, remind us of some wonderful gospel truth, and then sit back and listen and watch what happens in the room. And when God speaks, it's to home in on that God's faithfulness. Right, we're going to sing about God's faithfulness. He's in charge, not us. Guys, we don't mind mistakes. We're not looking for perfection. We're not looking for beautifully well-crafted prayers. We're not looking for that. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to get this wrong. Why? Well, we're not perfect, but we come before one who is perfect. Guys, as long as our desire is to hear from him and for his agenda in the room, we really can't go too wrong with this stuff. I think most of all, why Jesus loves the heart of a spontaneous worshiper is that there's just way more chance for him to be involved. There's way more chance for him to kind of invade a moment and then his agenda. He's the one that ultimately knows the room. Never thought about that. I don't know what you guys are going. I've got an idea in some of your lives because you shared stuff with me, but I don't know. The Holy Spirit does. And he loves you. He wants to come and encourage you and speak to you. That's why we invite him into it. Not my agenda, but his. Guys, how spontaneous is our worship, really? 
Are we potentially missing out on what God has for us because we don't make room for him? Are we keeping watch for the still, small voice of God? Each of us have a part to play. Number six, we're getting through these. Mary's worship was lavish. She broke the whole jar. Shouldn't have to. It was an expensive jar anyway. She went all in. She didn't carefully count the cost. She went for it. Her worship was lavish. How lavish is our worship? How about our giving? That hypothetical offering coming up. What's our heart like? Are we looking forward to an opportunity to lavishly give back to God everything that he's given for us? Or can we kind of have this condition deep down? I, I want to give. Jesus, I love you. I'm willing to be generous, but I really want to see, like a bit, show me a bit of a spreadsheet and a breakdown of exactly how much money this money is going to be spent on this and this. I want to be a good student. It's, it's just not kind of Mary's approach, was it? She was all in. She was lavish. What she chose to do with her wealth in that moment brought such joy, such delight to the heart of Jesus. Number seven, Mary's worship went outside the boundaries of culture. In John's account, we don't actually see this in Mark, but in John's account, Mary takes her hair out, which I appreciate is a a weird thing. We're going to miss that, right? Most of the women in the room right now have their hair out, and we're not weirded out by it. But in that culture, and it's pretty much the same today in some religious circles, that would have been a huge deal. It would have been a massive moment of humility for Mary. It would have been this big shock. What's, what's she doing? We're not comfortable with this. And even though her culture said one thing, she let her heart lead us to do another. Those of us who are British, do we sometimes blame our reserved like, posture in worship just on, on, on being British? I'm British, so there's no way I'm going to jump up and down just can't see myself doing that. If you're not British, do you feel like you have to act British in this context? Got some news for us. We're not a British church. We never have been. We never will be. The culture we want to see thrive here across all our meetings and all our venues is not one determined by a government, by a flag. It's not one determined by its policies. It's not one determined by popular culture, what we see in the cinemas, what gets taught in schools, what happens in our high streets. The culture we want to see thrive here across all our meetings and all our menus is one ultimately determined by the presence of God and the kingdom of God. It's a culture where every tribe, every tongue, every color of skin, every background, every upbringing, educated or uneducated, employed or unemployed, healthy or unhealthy, all come together as part of the family of God. All brothers, all sisters, all family, all equal, all for one another, all equally forgiven, all equally set free by Jesus. Guys, that's the culture that we want to see thrive in this place. Mary's actions modeled something that challenges us all, wherever we're from, whatever our background is. That was Mary's response. What about the others in the room? Let's jump back just to verse 4. It says this, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than a year's wages and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Put yourself in Mary's shoes for a second. She'd just done this incredible thing. She was met with this, this hatred from the crowd. This overwhelming sense of waste. What are you doing? 34,453 pounds gone in a moment. We could have done something great with that. I could have funded our food banks for the next 10 years. What are you doing? I love Jesus' response. It doesn't say, oh, that was a bit lavish. 
just half of it would have been fine. Or Holden, guys, just wait. She's, she's having a bit of a moment. I know it's extravagant, but just keep it down. No, he endorsed this moment. He endorsed this costly, extravagant act of love as the correct one, as the appropriate one. It was the right thing to do. And when others in the room saw waste, Jesus saw something different. Guys, your worship, just like Mary's worship, is never wasted. It's always seen, it's always enjoyed, it's always delighted in. Verse 7, you will always have the poor. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. I love that verse. It just hits you in the face, doesn't it? Jesus was there. Jesus was there. Actual Jesus in the room, not the poor. Actual Jesus. You could spend our whole life doing good for the poor, and no one could ever say that wasn't an incredibly honorable thing to do with your life. But Jesus is saying here that you could do all of that, but you could still ultimately miss the point. See, we can't trade our good works for Jesus. What does that look like? That's works, that's religion. If only I'd be good enough, then Jesus might love me. He doesn't want our duty, guys. We already have the approval of the living God. doesn't want our religion. doesn't want our good works. What he wants is our hearts. He wants our whole selves completely devoted to him. Because we have a choice of how much of our flask we bring before him. doesn't want just an hour and a half on a Sunday doesn't want when we can make it to midweek community or not. He wants our sacrificial, unpredictable, lavish demonstrations of our love for him. Let me ask you a question. How much of your heart have you given to Jesus? We're going to draw in the second. I just want to touch on one more verse. I think, I think it's important. Verse 8 says this. She, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body for, beforehand for burial. This beautiful act of love would have been enough on its own. But what Mary had actually done was anoint Jesus' body. Whether she knew it or not, her worship, that moment, had kind of a purpose, kind of a, like a destiny, had a meaning of real significance. And we, we can lose this in our Western culture, but in um, Jewish Eastern, Eastern, Eastern culture, the preservation of, of someone's honor through the appropriate and proper burial was and still is today one of the greatest acts of kindness someone could do for someone. It's really easy for, for us to miss that. And possibly without even knowing it, Mary's worship played a significant part in preparing Jesus' body. None of your worship's ever wasted, guys. It's always seen. It always means something. It always brings such delight to the Father. What will your response to Jesus be? We're going to respond to him in a moment. The guys are going to come up and we might sing a song. If I've learned anything from studying this passage, it's so, so simple. That Jesus loves it when we delight in him. He loves it when we give, us, give him our whole heart. We can bring so much joy to the heart of our Savior simply by just giving him our own hearts. It's the point of the passage. But it's very easy for us to be half in, half out. Jesus, I love you, but isn't sort of two Sundays in four, is that okay? Yeah. Guys, it's fine. It's great. If that's what you can do, great. I love you. I want to 
want to give, Lord? I need to pay for my car first, and there's a holiday coming up, and I want to pay for that. Is, is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah. It's fine. Each of us have our own decision about how much of our heart we give to him. But some of you need to do a crazy thing for Jesus. Not out of works. Not because we earn anything. already have his approval. But just because. Just because. How costly is our worship? Is our worship sacrificial? Are we good at showing Jesus how much he means to us? Has our worship got a little bit predictable? Does our response to him feel a bit more like a ritual than a relationship? How lavish is our worship? We're going to sing and just submit our hearts afresh to him. But I just felt, as I was preparing this, I just felt Holy Spirit like three groups of people put my heart. I just felt you wanted to come and meet with. Do you guys mind standing up? Just kind of helps us fix our eyes on Jesus. The first group of people just felt Jesus lay on my heart. And you'll know this kind of deep down. People that people close to you have kind of, you've let them shape how you value your worship. Like some, maybe your husband or your wife or a close family friend told you in the past that you're wasting your time with this church stuff. Just that phrase, you're wasting your time. It plays on your mind. It's kind of grabbed you. It lingers. It kind of brings you all sorts of worry and stress. Jesus wants to come today. He just wants to come and encourage you. He wants to lift those words off you. He wants to tell you that he sees you, that he delights in your worship. What people, other people don't see, he sees. He wants to come, come to you today and say, well done, good and faithful servant. To remind you that the Father is singing over you. He delights in you. Your worship is never wasted. The other group of people just felt Jesus want to come and break down some barriers. A real kind of freedom in worship. Just like Mary broke her, her jar. She broke the complete jar. Kind of let her worship out. Like Jesus just wants to come and break a few jars. Wants to encourage people to take some bold steps in worship. Just, just felt him say that there's some some really significant prophetic gifts stored away in some jars right now in this room. And Jesus has given you those gifts for the good of the church. And guys, we need to benefit from them. We need to be encouraged by them. The third group. It's felt a few of us who have been maybe around for a little while. Whenever someone talks about the Holy Spirit, you just kind of tense up. It's just this, this thing that happens. It's kind of this blockage. I feel like it's because you've been carrying some prophetic words from the past that actually need to let go of. They were said over you in kind of error, quite frankly wrong. The person made a mistake. They didn't leave you encouraged, didn't leave you in a place of faith. Instead, they left you confused and frustrated of this very stuff about being used by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus right now just wants to lift that burden upon you, off you. And he wants to come just replace it with his Holy Spirit. He wants to come and do a work inside you. you guys if God's doing a work in you we're going to give some space to respond we've got a massive space at the front and we'd love to pray for you and you know if God's speaking to you maybe those three groups maybe you fall into one of those groups maybe God's just speaking to you about your heart in today's message you kind of know because your kind of heart will be racing a little bit and the Holy Spirit will be doing something I want to encourage you to come forward just as we sing this song I think for some of us we can, we can 
sing and respond quickly, but actually there's a, there's a deeper thing that's going to happen in these next few weeks and months. It's a deep change in our hearts. Some of you are realizing that actually your worship looks nothing like Mary's does. The Holy Spirit's going to come and just pinpoint areas and lies that He wants. He wants us to break our whole jars. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Feel to come forward if you want to receive prayer. Jesus, we want to thank you so much that you're a God who speaks to us with love, just grappling with your word. But we want to give you our whole hearts. We love you, we adore you. You just help us respond to you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for how you're challenging us, growing us, and shaping us, God. We want to be men and women who respond to you. I pray if you're speaking to us, God, we, there'll be a looseness in our response today for your glory and your fame, Jesus.